Welcome to Sound Purpose with Brian Thompson, pastor of Purpose Church in Firestone, Colorado. Pastor Brian is currently teaching through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Join us now as he opens this life-changing letter by Paul the Apostle to the church in Ephesus and beyond. Father, I believe our hearts desire that. A deeper experience of your presence, a deeper experience of your glory. As we look into this text this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would indeed reveal your glory to us and in us in a very powerful way. Holy Spirit, I need your help. We need your help to grasp and to apprehend the realities of the text that we're going to read today and and what it means for us. The transforming power of your life in us. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds, every aspect of us completely to what you want us to see this morning. As you alone know each person and what each person needs to hear distinctly. And I pray that you would impress that upon each one of us you would accomplish your perfect purpose in each one of us through your word. We surrender to it. We surrender to you. Pray that indeed you would flood this place, fill the atmosphere, do whatever you need to to change us right now that we resemble the reality spiritually that has happened to us in Jesus. I just pray that you would do that in power now for your namesake, for your honor, for your glory, for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, will you take out your Bibles this morning and uh, turn to Ephesians 4. If you ran out the door without one, just raise your hand. We've got a Bible that we can loan to you or give you if you don't have one. Please feel free to take it. You'll want to have it in your hand. I encourage you to, to follow along in the text. To keep it in your hand, even as there'll be Scripture up on screen. Um, just surround yourself with it, so that if the Lord wants to call you to a specific place, even in the Word, while you're, while you're listening to what's being preached, you're ready to go with the Word in your hand. By way of reminder, remember that Ephesians is divided into two main parts. A doctrinal section chapters 1 through 3, and an application section, chapters 4 through 6. Now, what we learn in all of God's Word is meant to be applied, no doubt. It's not as if God just wants us to take on information and and move out of here with just maybe a fatter head. Uh, The desire is that we apply what we learn. And so Paul turns his focus upon the application of truth in the life of a believer in chapters 4 through 6. He focuses on how a Christian is to live as a result of the truths that we have come to know and experience, the things that God has done in us in bringing us to life in Christ by grace through faith, by taking up residence in our hearts. We must never separate the Christian life we're supposed to live and the life that God lives in us through His Spirit. There's no way to live the life that we're called to live outside of God living in us through His Spirit. 
To connect with that, to experience that, to walk in that, to surrender to the Spirit is totally necessary for us to apply anything spiritual. Jesus himself said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's why he came to make residence in our heart, to live in us, to enable us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. We're currently in a series called The Christian's Walk, which is focused on this very thing. It's the application of the doctrine in the daily life of every follower of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are followers of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Amen? A Christian is not a person born into a group of people. When I was a case manager for Colorado Homeless Families, I used to speak Russian. I don't speak it so well anymore, but I used to speak it. And so I was in charge of all the Slavic Russian-speaking people in Colorado Homeless Families. And I met lots of people, Azerbaijanian, Armenian, Bosnian, Russian, Siberian, you name it. Um, Ukrainian. And the nice thing about it is I could speak all of their languages because the former USSR, that was the language. Now it's changed. They have their own dialects again. But I could speak with them. And I remember a, a Bosnian family that I really fell in love with claimed to be Christians because they were from a certain part in Bosnia. And I said, so you're Christian? Yeah, we are Christian. We're born, we were born Christians. Really? It was hard for them to comprehend that, that Christianity was not something that you got at birth or that was a part of your culture. Christianity is who you are. It's something God has done in us. We are Christians because Jesus Christ has raised us to new life in Him and now lives in us. A Christian is not a person who merely attends certain religious functions or attends to certain religious duties or activities, that doesn't make you Christian. You can do that stuff your whole life and never be saved. Christian means Christ one. It means a disciple or follower of Jesus, one who believes in and lives for Jesus. Are you a Christian? Do you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead? If you do, you're a Christian. Now, it means you'll live perfectly, right? No, it's not what it means. The Bible makes it very clear that we Christians are still sinners who must wrestle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I bring that up because I think sometimes in the solid, uh, sort of hard-hitting preaching of God's Word and, and preaching holiness and preaching living the way that the Word in, instructs us to, that people might think that that's legalism and that if you're not perfect, you can't be a Christian. The Scriptures make that very clear. We are perfect in Christ ultimately, but we still wrestle with, with sin. Does that make sense? It's a part of the struggle that we have in our flesh, even though we are believers. That situation does not change until we are forever in the kingdom of God with Christ in heaven. We're still going to struggle with sin, right? Or am I the only one that experiences that? But we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been freed from this slavery to live for Christ. God has changed us forever and therefore we live changed lives in Christ. God has done a work in us once for all, so we live differently because of that work. Romans 6, 1 through 14 declares this wonderfully, and it's a perfect introduction to our text this morning. So if you want to, go there in your Bibles, Romans 6, 1 through 14. It'll also be up here on the screen. But I'm just going to read it for us. 
watch as it unfolds. It's exactly what we're talking about today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in grace, or in sin rather, so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, past events bring present realities in our lives. Jesus died, yes, and was raised, and therefore death no longer has power over him. He has an indestructible life. In Christ, we died to sin, and therefore, sin no longer has power over us. We have been raised to newness of life. It is a past reality that works itself out in our lives presently. You've been saved, therefore you live as a saved person. You are in Christ, therefore you live as a Christian. It works itself out in the way that we live. Note what the Holy Spirit says through Paul at the end of verse 10. He says of Jesus, But the life that he lives, he lives to God. His new life is lived to the glory of God the Father. This is the way we are to be living as disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to be living for the glory of Jesus. Because of the realities of our new life in Christ, there will be a distinct difference in our lives between who we were before Christ and who we are now in Him and how we live as a result. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, 1, 17-24. Follow along as I read it so that we can see the context build. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then in verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in that way. 
or in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Living for Jesus is distinctly different from living as we once lived. Amen? As I shared last week in that message, learning Christ is to result in living Christ, living for Jesus. Now look with me at the connection between last week's text and this week's text, between verses 20 to 21 and 22 through 24. They, the Ephesian believers, and we have learned Christ, heard Christ, and have been taught in Him. And all of this through the work of the Holy Spirit who brought us all to life in Christ and through whom we have a personal relationship with Christ. This is the ultimate reality out of which we are to live. This is what was learned, heard, and taught when we were saved. At the moment of our salvation, when we came to Jesus Christ, we learned, heard, and taught in Christ we, we became part of Christ. We were saved. And this is what we heard. That, in reference to your former manner of life, you do certain things. Paul speaks of a former manner of life. Former. A way in which we once walked, as the Gentiles also still walked. We see that all over the world more and more, don't we? It's the way of our culture. It's the way of the flesh. It's the way that it just continues to go further and further, deeper and deeper into corruption. That's the culture in which we live, and it's a lost culture. It's the former way we once lived. This old self manner of living is to be in the past. It should not be descriptive of the current way we live, day by day, moment by moment, because of the reality of what has happened in us when we were saved. Past spiritual events in our history, and that one event of being saved, the big one, brings about current ways of living today. Saved in Jesus so that we are living for Jesus. So how does this work itself out in us? Three ways that Paul explains through the Holy Spirit. First of all, we lay aside the old self. We, be renewed in the, we are renewed in the spirit of your mind and then also put on the new self. We'll let these unfold for us as we study the text, but I need to just explain something as we do, and I want to attempt to clarify something. As I go through texts and as I read them and study other guys that are way smarter than I am and the scholars, sometimes I come to see things about the text I didn't know before, and it can jack me up. I'm going along thinking I know exactly what it means, and then you start going through the Greek, and you start going through the other scholars like, huh, okay, how am I, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, there's some controversy, controversy surrounding this text because of the Greek construction of the text. There are some commentators, excellent scholars like MacArthur and other heavyweights, if you will, who claim that Paul is not giving us commandments here. He's merely stating reality as it is. He's explaining finished realities that occurred at salvation. 
I'm not going to get into all the deep weeds over it because it's complex and I don't think it's going to help us. But I want to let you know right up front that I believe these are indeed ultimate realities in our life. When we came to Christ, ultimately we did indeed lay aside the old self. We were indeed renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we did indeed put on the new self. That's all true, ultimately, in Jesus. It's very much connected to this idea or this understanding of sanctification. Follow along for just a minute. Two different aspects of sanctification, of becoming made like Christ, being made holy. One is definitive sanctification. One is progressive sanctification. Did I talk about this last week? No, I talked about justification, sanctification, and glorification. Well, guess what? Sanctification goes a little deeper. Definitive sanctification is that situation where our status in Christ, we are made holy at once. Just as we were justified, we are also in God's sight, holy in Christ. Ultimately, perfectly sinless and perfect. So it says he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the reality. It's an ultimate reality. Are we there yet? No, you're seated right here. But spiritually, the ultimate reality is you're already with God in heaven in Jesus Christ. That's our status in Christ. It's definitive. It happens at the moment we come to be purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. But then there's a progressive nature of sanctification which happens for the rest of our lives. It is a process wherein we become holy more day by day as the Holy Spirit moves on us and conforms us to the image of Jesus. You and I both wish wish it weren't a process. Amen? We wish it were definitive. Boom. Done. Glorified. Wouldn't that be cool? Be a whole lot easier than slugging it out here on earth, right? But that's not how God ordained it in his inscrutable wisdom. He's brought us to life. He sees us in the beautiful purity and holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And yet we also are being progressively made more like Christ as we walk through our lives with the Spirit day by day. Ultimate realities being worked out in our daily lives as we are living for Jesus. So that these realities, that we have laid aside the old self, been renewed in the spirit of our mind, and have put on the new self, all of these occurred at the moment of salvation and are still happening within us as we participate in them by a daily act of our will. You've heard that old phrase, well, just let go and let God. Well, that's nice. And in reality, when it comes to your salvation, that's what you must do. Let go and let God, because that's the only way you're going to get saved is Jesus Christ did it for you. You receive it by faith. But that's not the end of it. There's a process where we have to be very active, very involved spiritually, surrendering to the Holy Spirit so that we don't give in to the old man, we lay aside the old man, we're being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we're putting on the new self. That's what it means to be living for Jesus. Matt Fuller, in his excellent book called Perfect Sinners, explains it this way. We have a status in Christ that's unchanging, yet our walk in Christ is dynamic. Okay? He uses this helpful graph, which I just took a picture of it out of the book this week. 
You look on the left, there's our status before God. It's unchanging. Our walk with God is fluctuating, right? Some days we're hot, some days we're not so hot. Amen? Or am I the only one up here? Please just nod with me. Yes, Pastor, we struggle with things sometimes too. Thank you. I'm feeling better already. Our status before God is that we're complete. Our walk with God is that we're growing. Our status is that we're declared holy, sanctification, definitively. Our walk with God is that we are growing in holiness. Our status is that we're justified. It's been completed. We cannot increase in any more righteousness before the throne of God because Christ did it for us. But our walk is that we're progressively being sanctified throughout the Christian life that is only perfected in heaven. Our status before God is the guilt of sin is gone. That's the reality. But our walk with God... The corruption of sin is slowly being removed as we surrender the Holy Spirit. Amen? Ultimate finished realities in our status that are being worked out daily in our walk with God as we live for Jesus. This is what I believe Paul is expressing in our text today. So let's keep looking at it to see how we are to be living for Jesus. The first way that we're instructed to live for Jesus beyond our former manner of life is to lay aside the old self. The word for lay aside in the Greek is apotithime, and it means to cease doing what one is accustomed to doing. To stop, to cease. We have a word in our house that fits this perfectly. In our house, if you're tickling somebody, stop, 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 doesn't really mean anything. Ha, 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 because we're laughing, having fun. But when you say quit, whack, apotithome. That's exactly what it is. Quit is like the drop dead, knock it off, no further word in our household. So that the kids know. If I'm tickling them and they say quit, I, it's like hands off. It's, it's over with. That's the idea here. Whatever you're doing that you're not supposed to be doing, knock it off. The Christian has laid aside the old self, the old, unredeemed, Gentile way of living. We are no longer living in the futility of our mind, darkened in our understanding, excluded from the life of God because of any ignorance that used to be in us. These things have been changed for us at salvation. We no longer have a hardened heart. We are to live in light of that change. Those old ways, the old self, is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. That's the way the old self lived and liked living, being corrupted. Now, that word for corruption is a very descriptive word, and it's very hard to say. It's an F and a T-H, right? A phyro, phyro is what the word is. It says to cause someone to become perverse or depraved as a type of moral destruction, to deprave, to pervert, to ruin, to cause the moral ruin of This is what we see Satan pursuing in our culture. This is the perfect word, thyro, of what it means to train children in unrighteous, godless sexual behavior. That is exactly what it is. It is is corruption, and it will be judged in our nation. I'm sad to see, uh, regardless of what your view on this is, that the Gay-Straight Alliance is encouraged and supported here in this middle school where they, they 
mentor a straight child with a gay child. It's, it's remarkable. And that's in this school, day by day throughout the week. It is the slow corruption of our children, and it's the slow corruption of our culture. And the real, reality is the old man was being corrupted consistently, morally ruined by the lusts of deceit. And Woost put it this way, he said, Lusts is epithumia, a craving, a passionate desire. I think we can all understand that without too much Greek knowledge. Here it is evil cravings. Epithumia can be positive, but here it's considered evil because the context is clearly in regard to evil. This process of corruption is dominated or controlled by the passionate desires of deceit, deceit being personified. All this the believing sinner put off when he was saved. The old self lived in the moral ruin caused by the passions of lustful deceit. It buys the lie that what the flesh desires, it can satisfy by giving into it. But we know that's not how those lusts work, right? The more you give in to them, the more unsatisfied you are, and the more in them you must dive to receive the same level of pleasure or, quote, satisfaction that was before. It's pernicious. It just gets worse and worse and worse. It's not like it remains static. It's always headed in the downward spiral. That's the idea of this. It progressively morally ruins the individual by leaving them, leading them further and further down an unsatisfied path of seeking to satisfy that which kills the moral self. It's destructive. Now, we were saved from this when we were brought to life in Christ. So the idea is, how then can we live in it any longer? The force of the text indicates that we will not, for you have laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and we will therefore lay aside the old self. Since we have, we will. And we have to engage in that process. It is an effort of surrender, and it is also an effort of the will. We are also to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Utley clarifies that this is a present passive infinitive, which means that believers are to continue to be made new in their thinking by allowing the Spirit to develop the mind of Christ in them. Now, this is not merely thinking different thoughts or having new Christian opinions about life, politics, or doctrine. This is the spirit of the mind. It means you're, not, you're bent, the way that you go toward life. For instance, a person whose spirit, the spirit of their mind is of anger, their response is always anger. It will, it, it's just the way they're wired. I mean, a little, th boom, on the road, boom. This is the person that in road rage tries to run, run you off the road. It's not just that you're thinking different thoughts or picking up new Christian slogans or, or opinions even. This is about the, the bent of the mind and of the person. One scholar put it this way, it's the moral self-activity of the Christian life. How we are bent in the spirit of our mind, such that from inside out, 
We would then grow more to think the way of Christ, desire what Christ desires, be motivated by what motivates Jesus, and are therefore actively, habitually living like and for Jesus. This kind of renewal of the spirit of our mind transformed us and continues to transform us. It is as we read in Romans 12 too, and do not be conformed any longer, sorry, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There is a way that a believer can live that is opposite to this, right? It is possible as a believer to, to live opposite of this. Where the mind is not given over to the Spirit, but its intent is on its own desires. Peter just demonstrated this kind of mind when he rebuked Jesus after being told by Jesus that he was going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. Remember that moment? When he rebuked him and said, No, Lord, may it not be. Not to you. And he rebuked Christ. Well, Jesus turned around and had this. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man. Listen to what he said. You're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. What a serious indictment. How many of us could accept the same rebuke? This is clear indication that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. If the spirit of our mind is focused upon the world and the flesh, we are living more in line with the devil. Even though the reality is that we're in Christ, it is possible for us to walk in, in a manner that's not worthy, right? That's why Paul says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Well, you wouldn't have to say that if Christians didn't struggle, right? Be a waste of ink on papyrus or whatever it was. But he has to say it because we still have a choice. We must seek God's face for the remedy of this in every way that we can. Yes, the spirit of our mind has been renewed in Christ, but we must still actively seek it more and more. How do we get, how do we experience the, the daily process of being renewed in the spirit of our mind? We put off the old and we put on the new. Let me encourage you. Be discerning of what you read, listen to, watch, think about, fantasize about, what captivates the attention of your mind. Is it godly? Or is it of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind by taking control of it feeding it with that which is spiritually healthy, depriving it of that which is not good. I read the book, um, Every Man's Battle. It's an excellent book about walking in purity as a Christian man. But he talked about the struggle with lust in the flesh, and he, he likened it to a sumo wrestling match. This is a great one. So if your flesh is the other sumo that you're wrestling with, and you're you... How's that going if you're feeding that sumo and starving the spirit? The flesh is getting fatter and fatter and stronger and stronger and huger and huger and is ready to go. You step into the ring and you're not prepared because you've been feeding the enemy. 
And you get knocked clean out of the ring right when you step into it. We have to starve the flesh, starve that which is of the world, the flesh and the devil in us, and fill ourselves, can commit ourselves to consuming that which is good for our spirit so that when we do have to deal with the flesh, we step in ready to go, prepared for the fight. You've got to starve the sumo, is the way they put it, in regard to the, the flesh and lust. So here's a, here's a thought. This may bug, bug you, but there you go. I'm up here and you're sitting. And I can run pretty fast. <clears throat> For instance, if you listen to secular music on a regular basis, realize that you are feeding your mind with the world, the flesh, and the devil. What are the words of those songs encouraging? Is it good and godly, or does it encourage corruption by the lusts of deceit? Just take the average Ariana Grande or whatever name is song. Just take one of them and take a moment and read through the lyrics. But I love the beat and the music. Well, that's great, but you're filling your spirit full of filth. Is the music really worth that? If the things I'm listening to or watch, watching tacitly encourage me to do something I can't righteously do in Jesus, then I'm feeding the wrong thing. Just as you are what you eat, you will become what your mind eats. You can't get away from that. It's just part and parcel of being human. Do you want yourself, or worse yet, your children to become what our secular society condones through its media? If not, why would we then choose to live on a diet of its corrupting influence? Think of the words of the music you listen to as you drive down the road. Is that what you want to become? Is that what you want your children to grow up to pursue? Think of those, those lyrics to that music and say, would I like that for my little eight-year-old girl? Because if she listens to it, guess what she'll do? She'll memorize it. I'm always freaked out when, I'm, when I see a song come on, you know, if you hear a song come on, you're at a public place, and all the little kids are like, meh, 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 and they're, they're wor- mouthing the words. And you're like, good grief. You know what you're mouthing? That stuff's in there. I have a question. Would you eat tasty brownies that look good but contain dog excrement? Well, they look and taste really good, but they have poo in them. Would you eat those or give them to your children? My guess is no. The same is true of whatever we choose to put in our minds in whatever fashion, be that listening, watching, reading, or imagining, We're stuck here on earth with all of its corrupting influences, yes, but we must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And Jesus told us how to do this in his prayer to the Father in John 17, 13 through 17. He said to the Father, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. That's Christ's desire for you and for me. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is so interesting. I do not ask you to take them out of the world like rats. If I could have just changed one prayer. No, it's just Jesus said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, 
but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Those few words spoken by Jesus prayed to the Father specifically in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Indicate how we can be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Daily, habitual, meditating on, reading, studying, and memorizing God's word will have its sanctifying influence in us. It happens in our hearts, souls, spirits, and in our minds. Yes, we've been sanctified in Christ. We've been made holy at the moment of our conversion, but we also must continually participate in our own sanctification. We don't make ourselves holy. That is why the phrase is in the passive that you be renewed in the Spirit. Notice he doesn't say, renew the Spirit of your mind, because you can't. I can't. It's something the Holy Spirit does as we surrender to Him. It's passive. We must surrender ourselves to this process, and we do so by letting the Word of God do its sanctifying work in us daily. If you're finding that a particular habit or struggle, maybe even addiction, is getting the best of you, Immerse yourself in the Word of God. The way we escape is there. As the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13, Now these things happened to them, to the people in the Old Testament, as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Verse 13, One every Christian should have memorized. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. One of the most wonderful and trustworthy ways of escape that the Lord has provided is through His Word. Psalm 119, 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now I know that you're probably sitting there and saying, I think he's preached this sermon before. Yes, probably multiple times. Because it doesn't change. There, there's no other way It's just like if you eat McDonald's every day, you won't be healthy. You can change your thought process about McDonald's. It's not going to change the reality that what you're eating isn't healthy. So also, to do the right thing will have its effect in your spiritual health. Over time, God is faithful. He will do it in you, but we have to do our part. We must. You say, well, it's so legalistic. No, it's not! Any more than putting food in your body is legalistic to keep it alive. It just is a reality. That's what it needs. We feed it. Most of us appreciate it and enjoy it. So it needs to become with spiritual food. So the way I'd put this is, are you tempted to give in to lust for anything? Use the word and remind yourself to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Why would I want to give in to something that is going to literally wage war against my soul? Use the word. Apply the word as you would good medicine. Combat the evil with the right word from the Lord. Now, if you're wondering where to go, 
Look it up in the topical index in your study Bible. It's all sorts of topics, and you can look them up there. Even go to the internet, beware, but do it. Verses on how to beat lust in the Bible. Verses on how to be holy in the Bible. Boom, right at your hands, more than you can read. But don't get into reading a blog about it. Read the Word. It doesn't say anything about the power of a blog. No, this is God's blog. Get into it. That's where the power is. The, you, the Word can be used in this way to great effect in our lives by renewing the spirit of our minds. But we must apply it. As James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, look at that, once again, it's all throughout the New Testament. Put this aside and do this. And all that remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then also in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. What a warning and what an encouraging word. And I know that I'm going a little long. Um, I just have a few more minutes, which means in preacher speak, I just bought myself 20. It won't take 20. Here's the thing. This text is so huge. My question is, do I preach one week on put aside the old stuff, one week on be renewed in the Spirit, one week on, well, you know that I'll die before we get through Ephesians. So, sometimes I have to cram it in, and today we're cramming it in just a bit. We're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind through the word of God. And Wearsby said it really well. He said, as the mind understands the truth of God's word, it is gradually transformed by the spirit. And this renewal leads to a changed life. Yes, you are changed and you are being changed. Physically, you are what you eat, but spiritually, you are what you think. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. This is why it is so important for us as Christians to spend time daily meditating on the Word, praying, and fellowshipping with Christ. Just as he suggests we should also meditate on the Word, pray, and fellowship with Christ, we need to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do His work in us. I don't know about you, but it seems that my days, my moments, are filled with prayers of, Oh, Lord, help me, please. I want to pack that guy's lunch right now, um, or I want to run that person off. Through. No, that's what you people struggle not me. I'm a pastor. I never think those thoughts. Dealing with selfishness, dealing with lust, dealing with greed, dealing with pride, dealing with the flesh, the world, that all day long, my cry is to the Lord, help me to be as I ought to be. Help me to be as I truly am in Christ. If you're not praying about those things, how are they possibly going to get done? Because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. We must be praying and involved with this in the Spirit to pray about everything. Go before the Lord and ask Him to renew you in the Spirit of your mind to be more like Jesus. Consider the way Jesus lived as you re read the text and then pray the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ in you more and more. Saturday, yesterday, our text and read the Bible through a year was Matthew 14 through 16. And I read it prayerfully and devotionally, and then I set it on my floor and I stuck my head in it for an hour and said, And Lord, 
I see this in Jesus, and I don't see it in myself. Will you come and do this in me? And I need to be not a man who gives me a lip service to the truth, but I want to honor you in living it out. And I'm not saying that I'm some great spiritual... I'm saying I desperately need that moment by moment, day by day. My guess is you're the same. Pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal Christ in you more and more through the Word, through prayer, inviting the Spirit to renew us through fellowship with Christ. It will be done in us to the glory of God just as surely as it has been done through Jesus. So what I've explained here already has walked us right into the last aspect of living for Jesus, to put on the new self. We lay aside the old self, we be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then we put on the new self. Put off the old, be renewed in your spirit of your mind, and put on the new. Practically, this would look like this. You first rebuff the temptation to sin. No, that's the old man. That's who I once was. Holy Spirit, give me the blessing of the, the right mind to handle this issue in the name of Jesus. I'm not doing that. I will do this. I'll avert my eyes. I'll walk in this way. I won't get angry in that way. I will give when I may not feel like giving. What Serve when I don't want to serve or don't feel like it. When tempted to lose it and give somebody the tongue lashing you're sure they deserve, even on social media, you pray for them internally and give them a blessing instead. Yield to the, to the driver that is being a jerk. Build up your fellow employee and assist them instead of letting them falter to prove you know you can do it better. Make sure everybody else sees that you can do it better too. You following me? It's like day by day living practically for Jesus. In your marriage, you ask yourself, how would Jesus treat my spouse right now? And then you do it in the strength and the heart that God provides. Again, the only way to know how to do this is to understand it through God's word and through prayer, and then apply it, apply it prayerfully in the spirit. This is how you put on the new self. But to what degree? How, sh how far should I go in this? I mean, really? The answer is stunning to me. And put on the new self, which, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Blows my mind every time I read it. I hold my head in my hand just like, God, how can I possibly fully grasp that? Because we are now in Christ, alive in Christ by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit at our salvation, our new self is in the likeness of God. It has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This reality is simply remarkable, remarkable but it is our life in Christ. If you will, the total image of God that we lost when Adam sinned, in Christ has been renewed in us. What was lost in Christ has been regained by us. It's been, it's been made the reality in us. Ultimately, we are created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Righteousness meaning living in a right way before God and man. When you, righteousness is always, if you're a righteous person, you do what you ought to with the other person all the time. That's exactly how God is. He's always righteous. 
never unjust. So righteousness is more toward your fellow brother or sister focused. Holiness is always focused toward the Lord. The truth is always righteous, always holy. Holiness is living in a right way before God in accordance with his character, his word, his spirit. Jesus did both in perfection, and he intends to work both out in us in perfection. And note, this is not in accordance with our own standard of righteousness or holiness, but the righteousness and holiness of the truth. How can this be done? Well, first of all, realize that it's already been done. This is the reality of you as a new creation. This is how you truly are in Christ. Your new self is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let that sink in for the rest of your life. Dwell on that for the rest of your life. You're not going to overcome it. You're not going to fully comprehend it. We won't understand it until we see him face to face, and even then I think we'll spend the rest of eternity grasping it. As we do that, our response will then be to bow before Jesus and give ourselves more and more to living for Jesus. Practically, this calls for radical transformation in every part of our lives. Not just the external part that people see, but that our internal life is gloriously transformed in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then the external follows suit. Are you living for Jesus? What do you have to put off to do that? What do you need to put on to do that? That's for you to think about throughout this week. Commit yourself to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this miraculous, marvelous word. Continue to reveal it to us and in us. Thank you that the reality is our status in you is ultimately in perfection in Jesus. Our righteousness, Christ's righteousness, is our righteousness. But we also know, Lord, day by day we have to live it out. And I pray that you would help us not to beat ourselves with a, well, I'm not that person, so I guess I'm a loser kind of attitude, but a no you wrote this to me so that I could live it out, and so therefore you must intend to give me the ability to live it out in Christ, and so I embrace that, Lord. Come and do your work in me. Help us, Lord, indeed, to live for Jesus as you deserve for us to live. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to Sound Purpose, a podcast by Brian Thompson, pastor of Purpose Church in Firestone, Colorado. If you've been encouraged by this broadcast, would you consider a tax-deductible gift? You may donate or find other information about Purpose Church through our website at purpose.church. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join us next time for more life-changing teaching from Paul's letter to the Ephesians.